Welcome to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony, and he provides commentary on the WMHT Live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live from WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. This evening's program occupies itself with one major masterpiece from the rather distant past. It's Mozart's Requiem, but in an entirely new guise. Uh, to, to tell the story, I probably should go back to the very beginning uh, and talk about this fascinating residency that the six members of the Composers Collective Sleeping Giant are having with us at the Albany Symphony this year and next. There's a, a fantastic organization which supports the work of American composers called New Music USA. And they create residencies for different composers all over the country with orchestras, with different kinds of ensembles as well. And we at the Albany Symphony being very much dedicated to championing the work of our own time along with the great masterpieces of the past have had a number of residencies through New Music USA. Uh, and usually when they design these residencies, it's usually for a single composer over a year or two or three with a, one institution. But since we're the Albany Symphony and we think very big, uh, we decided to propose a residency with a group of six composers, something that's actually never been done through this residency program because of the logistical challenges and such. But it was not just six random composers. It was these six amazing young composers of the collective Sleeping Giant. And uh, these young gentlemen, all gentlemen, all met uh, while they were graduate students at the Yale School of Music, pursuing their doctoral degrees in composition. And uh, they really enjoyed enjoyed each other a great deal. They have very distinctive and unique personalities, uh, and yet they share a lot of common interests, being of roughly the same age and 30-something at this point, uh, and very much immersed in uh, the world of today as well as the music of yesterday. So they're very much interested in this idea of how in the age of the internet and of so much sampling and reorganizing of music that you can do at the click of a mouse with your computer, uh, this whole idea of, of contemporary approaches to music composition, of layering, of sampling, of almost collage-type approaches uh, that one finds in a lot of contemporary music today, particularly in a, in, uh, a lot of electronic music. And so uh, while they have a great respect for and a great awareness of the past, they're very much of, of our own time. And I thought it would be really exciting for the Albany Symphony to have this two-year residency with these six young composers because of all the fresh new approaches and ideas they might bring to us. After they finished Yale, the six composers of Sleeping Giant moved to Brooklyn where they all hung out together and were involved in lots of really interesting new music projects and interacting with other uh, hip young composers and uh, writing works both as a, a group and independently as they each pursued their own careers in music. So as things evolved, we were delighted to receive funding from New Music USA for this very ambitious two-year residency with these six composers. And uh, each year, this year and next, the agreement was that we, we at the Albany Symphony would do one major subscription concert in collaboration with Sleeping Giant. This season, uh, we would actually take a major work or one of our major concerts, and they would help us reimagine the format and the approach and 
while not creating new compositions per se, they would recompose and rework certain aspects of one of our subscription concerts. Next year, we're doing something rather different on a subscription series. We're going to do a concert which features a work, an existing work by each of the six of them alongside of the works that inspired those works of theirs, works from the great tradition like the Barbara Adagio, Vivaldi uh, Concerto, Mozart Piano Concertos as well. In addition, this spring, as part of our American Music Festival, they are, in essence, creating an entire Dogs of Desire concert with a fabulous young jazz singer, Theo Blechmann, a sort of cabaret evening, and they're also helping to curate next year's uh, American Music Festival and will be playing a lot of their music on that festival as well. But our first major outing together was this idea of of taking a subscription concert and entirely reimagining it. And so as they and I looked down our subscription series, as it was planned about a year and a half ago together, the work that kind of jumped out at all of us was the Mozart Requiem, a piece that I have personally never done before, but which I've always wanted to, to explore. And the reason it jumped out both at them and at me is that, as you probably know, the Mozart Requiem was left rather unfinished at Mozart's death. Mozart died on December 5th, seventeen. And as far as we can gather, he had that visit by the mysterious stranger that we probably all remember from uh, the movie Amadeus, the servant of this mysterious Count Valsig, asking him to compose a requiem. Uh, the visit probably happened in, in July or August of 1791, so only a few short months before Mozart's death. And it happened at a time when Mozart was very busy. He was premiering the magic flute. He was writing a new opera, La Clemenza de Tito, for Prague. Uh, he was working on a number of other compositions. And after a few years of actually kind of falling out of favor. He hadn't had as much attention as many works played. He was having some financial difficulties at the end of the 1780s. And in 1790, his career had kind of turned back around and he was really on an upswing in the beginning of uh, the fall of 1791. And so he really didn't have much time to pursue the creation of this requiem, which he was very excited about. He hadn't written church music in a great many years. And as a young composer, had written a great deal of, of sacred music and was very eager to return to it, had never written a Requiem Mass, was very eager to do that, obviously the Requiem Mass being a Mass for the dead. And so he jumped at this project, and uh, it was only in probably September or October of 1791 that he was actually able to really get down to working on it. Now, it's true that Mozart worked very, very quickly, but this is a rather major significant work. So as he, as was usually his custom, he started by essentially sketching out the vocal parts. He knew that he wanted to use a four-part chorus, traditional kind of chorus, as well as four solo singers. So he got through much of the piece, maybe two-thirds of the piece, with just writing the choral parts. And then he started back at the beginning and filled in the bass line and little fragments uh, sort of to suggest. I don't I don't know if it was because he knew his time was running out or he just started this way, uh, little suggestions of a few bars of violin figuration or such. And he had really only gotten to the point of fully completing the first three and a half or four minutes of music. So what happens is that in the, the autograph, if one can figure it out, and I'll explain that in a moment, the piece gets progressively more spotty uh, to the point where the last third of the Requiem text is simply he didn't get to it. So it, nothing is of his in his autograph score. Uh, and at the beginning, it's fully uh, orchestrated the first few minutes in this very beautiful church-like dark orchestration, just two basset horns, which are kind of like an alto version of the clarinet, a bassoon, 
three trombones, two trumpets, timpani, and strings. So eschewing all those bright, high woodwinds, uh, no French horns, no flutes, no oboes, a very dark, beautiful instrumentation. So Mozart got, I don't know, by my estimation, not quite 50% of the way through the composition of this work. And it was all or virtually all, still in in very sketch form, when he died uh, on December 5th. This left his widow, uh, Costanza, a very impressive and uh, savvy lady, in a a really serious bind. She had young children. She had just lost her source of income in that her husband had just passed away. And she owed this Count Valsig not only the completed requiem in order to get the final significant payment from him, but if she couldn't deliver the requiem, there was a great likelihood that he might in fact ask for his rather significant initial down payment back. So she was in a real quandary. And what she did, uh, as any new widow might, was she drafted her husband's assistant a very well-meaning fellow named Mr. Susmeyer, who by Mozart's estimation was not a very gifted composer, kind of a, a, a yeoman, stalwart kind of regular old 18th century composer, but not of very great gifts. And she also drafted a couple of other of Mozart's friends to try to quickly complete this rather incomplete work. And she was so eager to sort of put over to Count Valsig that, in fact, the work had been completed by Mozart before his death, that she had them work on Mozart's autograph. And Susmeyer had a, a similar hand to Mozart. So it's actually very difficult for scholars to even figure out which parts are Mozart and which parts are Susmeyer. But many years later, Susmeyer acknowledged that he was left with really a fragmentary version of a requiem, that the last third from the Sanctus to the end is entirely his own creation and that Mozart really contributed not at all to that. And that in between, he really did most of the work in terms of orchestrating and filling out and completing the work. In fact, they're very sort of heart-wrenching details, the lacrimosa, which is a beautiful movement that sits roughly in the middle. Mozart, as far as we can tell, completed eight bars and stopped, and that was probably the last eight bars he ever wrote. So there's a lot of emotion and, and poignancy around this work, and of course, a great mystique around it, and it has become, in the Susmeyer completion, you know, one of the great famous, famous works of choral music uh, in in the repertoire. But I must confess that I have always been a little confused about this work. I've never felt that it really works as a complete work. I guess maybe I have some sense that it's not all Mozart, and it sort of varies widely in terms of uh, of quality from these incredible Mozart passages to these really mundane, sort of all-purpose, 18th century, not very good passages. And so I've never done the piece and never really felt a need to do the piece. But I've always wanted to explore the piece and understand it. And this was a great opportunity uh, when the six composers of Sleeping Giant proposed that we explore this work uh, as part of their residency for me to get to know the piece in its original form, in its Susmeyer form, and now in this new uh, reimagined form. So many different composers and scholars have worked on the Requiem and basically taken the Susmeyer completion and tried to make it more Mozartian, tried to make the voice leading in the orchestra more the way Mozart would have liked it, have, have done little tweaks and fixes and changed it around. And some of them have been very effective. And Robert Levin, the great American scholar, for example, has made a very Mozartian version, but again, very much based on the Susmeyer. And many other folks through the years have tried to do better completions based on the Susmeyer completion. But this project that we embarked on, uh, Requiem Reimagined with the Six Composers of Sleeping Giant, is something altogether different. It's not an attempt to complete the Mozart Requiem. It's not uh, in any sense an attempt to create something Mozartian. What it essentially is is six 
young American composers in the year 2015 looking at this great set of fragments of what would have been a masterpiece and having, in essence, a conversation with them, a conversation with Mozart, a conversation about the meaning of what a requiem is, a requiem mass, uh, about death, about contemporary ideas about death, as well as about um, traditional views, the traditional Catholic liturgy that the requiem mass is drawn from. So, to me, it's a fascinating reimagining, as the title suggests, of this fascinating set of fragments by Mozart. And the way Sleeping Giant went about it was because there are six of them, they each took roughly two movements of the Requiem and did something with them. At the same time, they left, I don't know, five or six of the movements of the Requiem really untouched in the Susmeyer version. So you have this wonderful sense of the, the piece kind of veering back and forth between the sort of authentic piece that those of us who know the Requiem cherish and love and remember, and these rather radical and sometimes not so radical reimaginings or enhancements or changes or adaptations of some of the more incomplete movements. To sort of set things off in a very dramatic way, even though the first movement, the, the so-called introit, the introduction to when the chorus sings Requiem Eternam, even though that is the one passage that Mozart fully completed, uh, the composers of Sleeping Giant really felt that in order to establish that this is not a traditional rendering of the Requiem, they decided to really dramatically change that. And in fact, uh, because the things that they were concerned about were really much less the sort of monumental idea of the Requiem, of the dangers of, of hell, of the plea to God to save me from the fiery pit, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that they wanted to make a very different kind of Requiem. And so the first movement, they really refashioned. Ted Hearn is the composer of the Sleeping Giant group who refashioned this. He took a lot of the harmonic material from that introit, but he created an entirely new introit, which he calls introit us, uh, sort of a play on words, the idea that this is not a requiem sort of detached from our own personal human experience. This is about each and every one of us. And so in a very clever and I think wonderfully inventive and strange way, uh, he actually it says you can't see the performance. He actually has the performance start with nobody on stage. The four solo singers are up uh, in Troy in a balcony uh, in, a, in a box, and they uh, wait for one trombonist to come out. And then they sing the words, Tim Solinger, the name of that trombonist, and he begins a long extended cadenza. And then they essentially sing every single member of the orchestra, as well as me, the conductor, onto the stage in a way sort of personalizing this idea of the Requiem. They also have, uh, it begins with the trombone. Trombone features very prominently in, in Mozart's Requiem, the tuba mirum, the famous fourth movement of the of the piece. Uh, in Mozart's version, features a, a huge trombone solo, very interesting. So uh, Ted Hearn in this opening decided to feature the trombone even more. But they, they begin with just the one trombone and then the three trombones and the trumpets and the timpani and essentially, eventually, everybody is introduced onto the stage. But they even have the three trombones play uh, the same chord but with different durations to sort of to suggest this idea of individuality, of everybody, everybody's own personal journey through life to death. Uh, so very poignant and interesting kind of thing. Then we're uh, moved from that movement to Sussmeyer's actual Kyrie, this fantastic fugue, and then um, the Dies Irae, the Day of Judgment, the Day of Anger, the Day of, of Fire, uh, is, is again the Sussmeyer version. Then Ted does this fascinating tuba mirum where he basically cuts it up a little bit and, and makes these kind of gaping chasms in the music. So you have the sense of interruption. And then the piece sort of unfolds from there. And as I said, 
said, becoming ever more inventive as there's less Mozart, the sleeping giant composers step ever more in and make it ever more their own. A couple of other sort of highlights that that are probably that will be obviously unfamiliar to to even the most erudite listener who knows the Requiem well. Uh, this Lacrimosa, which I mentioned, uh, was the the last thing we think Mozart wrote, where he wrote eight bars and then stopped. Uh, there's a lot of scholarly discussion about whether, in fact, Mozart intended to put an Amen fugue uh, at the end of Lacrimosa. The chorus sings Amen, and there's a, a fragment of an Amen fugue for for chorus uh, just on the word Amen, and there's some. Th- thought that, that Mozart intended to, in fact, create a, a beautiful choral fugue. Uh, instead of that, what Timo Andres, the composer who took this section of the piece, decided to do was he decided to create a essentially a wordless Amen fugue. So it's a, a beautiful, extended, uh, purely orchestral piece um, based on the material of the Lacrimosa, about a seven or eight minute piece that grows out of the Lacrimosa and is purely orchestral and very 21st century sounding, but I think very, very beautiful in its way. That's one of the the greatest departures from the original text. Another is, at the point I mentioned, just kind of three pieces from the end, the Sanctus, where we know that Mozart contributed nothing, that that was where he stopped, and Susmeyer completely did that. Jacob Cooper, another member of Sleeping Giant, decided to create his own completely different Sanctus, keeping only the key, the big, brilliant, bright D major of of the original Sanctus, and the word Sanctus, and making this kind of wonderful post-minimalist meditation on the word Sanctus. Uh, So very interesting elements throughout the piece, and I think what's most wonderful is the way it sort of veers back and forth between very 18th century sounding music and these wonderfully fractured views of 18th century music. So I think enough said. Uh, Here is now this, uh, I hope you will find, fascinating reimagining of Mozart's Requiem by the six composers of Sleeping Giant. They are Timo Andres, Chris Cerrone, Jacob Cooper, Ted Hearn, Robert Hanstein, and Andrew Norman. Now, in our performance, the soloists, the four magnificent solo singers, are Mary McKenzie, soprano, Jasmina McNeil, mezzo-soprano, Matthew Plink, tenor, and Douglas Williams, baritone. We're delighted to be joined in this performance, as always, by our great friends in Albany Pro Musica, led by their inspired music director, José Daniel Flores Caraballo. They did a lot of work on this fascinating new version of a piece that they all know very intimately. And I'm sure it was very jarring and disorienting for them at first to have to learn whole new versions of movements with which they had been very familiar before. But they did a brilliant, brilliant job. So Albany Pro Musica joins us. It's the Albany Symphony conducted by me in this new uh, version. Uh, I hate to even say version, this new reimagining of Mozart's Requiem, Requiem Reimagined. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony concert broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. Thanks for listening to the Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller of the Albany Symphony Orchestra from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org.